And we're talking specifically about coming home to the Lord's house. Luke chapter 2 is the story. We want to begin reading today in verse number 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch or guarding their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were greatly afraid. If you check out all the instances in the Bible of angelic appearances, you'll find that almost conclusively, uh, that was the reaction of people whenever angels appeared. They were afraid. And so the angel, of course, knew that, and in verse number 10, he responds. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Good tidings of great joy, good news from the angels. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, that's Bethlehem. And this will be a sign to you, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, the armies of God, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying that was told them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. And Mary kept these things and pondered them in her heart. Coming home for Christmas means coming home this Christmas for God's gifts. Uh, you know, people will do almost anything to get home at Christmas. You know, there's something inside of us. There's a, kind of like a homing device, a trigger that goes off. I got to get home for Christmas. I guess maybe we've heard it so many times, that little phrase, home for Christmas. Uh, it's one of the most traveled days uh, ever. I told you last week in the church that uh, I learned that uh, on Black Friday uh, that Americans spent $9 billion on Christmas. I couldn't believe that. And then I learned that the day before, which is Thanksgiving, they spent $3 billion. I thought everybody stayed home and ate on Thanksgiving. I didn't know they went out and spent money. You know, Christmas has become virtually synonymous with materialism. This year, the National Retail Federation is projecting that Americans will spend a whopping $600 billion on Christmas. Well, you know, kids are already getting ready. They're writing notes, aren't they, to their parents and anybody else that they can get their attention, their grandparents especially. Uh, I picked up a few of those notes that kids are writing. One kid said, Dear Santa, when you come to my house, there's going to be cookies for you, but if you're real hungry, you can use our phone and order in a pizza. <laughs> you know, it's a little bit more sophisticated than back in my day. Uh, another kid wrote, I want a puppy, I want a playhouse, thank you, I've been good most of the time, sometimes I'm wild. They're very honest, aren't they? Kids are honest, they just tell it to Here, Here's a four-year-old kid, He's, he wrote, Dear Santa, I'll take anything because I haven't been that good. <laughs> I, I could visualize me uh, <laughs> saying that a long time ago. <laughs> 
another kid says, I'm not going to ask for a lot. Here's my list. The Etch-A-Sketch animator, two packs of number two pencils, Crayola fat markers, and my big gift, my own color TV. Well, maybe you could drop the pencils. I don't want to be really selfish. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of kids writing a lot of notes, dropping a lot of hints. But, uh, you know, it's the kind of gifts that are given at Christmas that really count. And believers like us in this church today, and many churches like this church, uh, we're trying to get people to realize that uh, the gifts from, uh, from Christ at Christmas are the best gifts. They're the gifts that are not shoved away in the corner and never to be looked at or used again. But they're the gifts that last forever. Uh, and they have a terrific warranty, they really do. Uh, when I was reading uh, Luke chapter 3, verse 15, I'm always stricken with, with that verse, 315. It says, Now as the people were in expectation, and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Messiah or not, there seems to be a general expectation during the time of Christ that something is happening, something is coming down. They didn't call it Christmas, like we do today. They called it the coming of the Messiah. Same thing. First of all, the shepherds were waiting, I believe, for Christmas. You may have never heard that before, but I think it's true. Uh, everyone knew that the Messiah would meet their needs when he came. Remember the woman at the well in John chapter 4? Uh, she said, listen, when the Messiah comes, he's going to tell us all things. Uh, what did the shepherds need? I believe, of course, they had a lot of needs, but the thing that I want to draw out this morning is this. I think they needed acceptance. And what better way for God to say, listen, I accept you, I love you, I care for you, and I'm going to show you, first of all, uh, who it is I'm sending in this world to be the Savior of the world. I looked up synonyms of uh, acceptance. Two of them are, the, are first of all, welcome. Uh, these people, the shepherds, were seldom ever welcomed anywhere. They were rejected almost everywhere. The second synonym I found was the word adoption. And that's a very biblical term right there. The Lord came down and sent his angels to adopt the shepherds as his own in his family. Galatians 4.4 4. But when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them who were under the law that we might receive the adoptions of sons and daughters that's a biblical term. Uh, you know, uh, God dispatches angels on lots of different occasions, especially so around the time of his birth and his life and his death. Remember, it was an angel who announced, announced uh, the conception of Jesus, Gabriel. And then there's this host of angels that publish his birth, and in his temptation, remember, after he was strengthened by an angel, and in his agony... In Gethsemane, he was comforted by an angel. At his resurrection, angels were in attendance. At his ascension, the angels uh, attended him up into heaven. And at his second coming, the second coming of Christ, the Bible says, he's going to be revealed from heaven with mighty angels. Uh, angels and Jesus uh, did an awful lot together. The shepherds were a subculture, a culture within a culture. And they were notorious and neglected a shunned people group. 
They were unable, and you've heard this before, they were unable to testify in a court of law. They were so untruthful and unscrupulous. Uh, they were not noted for their honesty, and it seemed as though that they lost the distinction between what was theirs and what belonged to other people. And because they moved around looking for places of grazing for their sheep, it was easy for them to pick up things and take things with them. They lived to themselves. They were often uneducated, and, uh, and they were, of course, least likely of all people to visit Christ first. Uh, they weren't religious, and I think one of the reasons why they weren't religious is because their work style really prohibited that. Uh, they didn't have much time off. They were way out in the boondocks, so to speak, taking care of these sheep. They didn't have a chance to go through all the ceremonial washings of the religious elite in Jerusalem. Uh, they didn't have time to attend all the structured services of the temple. And so uh, they couldn't become that religious. They were, they were looked down upon. But, you know, they had a very important job. They were raising the sacrificial lambs for the religious people. Without them, the religious people would have been in deep trouble. They wouldn't have had any lambs, really, to offer at the temple. And so in the midst of this rejection, God in heaven does something tremendous. He fractures the prejudice of the times by showing us that God is really concerned about everybody beginning with the people that no one on earth is concerned with. That's our God, the tremendous love that God has for people. The coming of Jesus Christ is going to begin a new system. And here in verse number 10, you'll notice that, uh, let's, just, uh, let's just look at it in verse number 10. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings. You see the word good tidings there? It's the Greek word euangelion, from which we get the English word gospel. And so these angels preach the gospel. First of all, the good news uh, to the shepherds uh, that a Savior will be born. There's no telling how much emptiness was in their lives. I think they had a lot of time to reflect, don't you think, out there watching over the flocks by night, just kind of laying on their back, looking up into the stars. But, you know, when you look up into the stars, you can see a, a lot of good things. I call it God's world book. Uh, Psalm 19, verse 1 through 4, says this. The heavens proclaim the glory of God, and the skies display his craftsmanship. Now, just think of this. If you're a shepherd, you're under the stars, and you're looking up into the heavens because that, that was their job. They, they worked outside. Day after day, they continued to speak. Night after night, they made him known. They speak without a sound or a word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. And so here these shepherds are looking into the sky and God's speaking to them. Is it too much for us to assume today that God's world book was uh, not speaking to them on a regular basis? Is it too much to assume that some of these shepherds were longing for a Savior? I don't think so at all. Because how could they do otherwise when God speaks through his creation? And they were so close to it. Uh, I believe they had an empty spot in their heart just like everyone else. And they probably had more 
time to think about that empty spot because they didn't have so many material things to get their mind off of their empty spot in their heart. Now, I know that you know that Christmas is one of the toughest times for people. It's a time of depression. Oftentimes, people put so much hope in giving and receiving that, uh, and after it's all over, it's all over. And they kind of plunge into a depression. Well, I think we could say that these people, the shepherds, were looking for acceptance. Everyone had hands off. They were the untouchables, except God. Now, isn't that like God? Isn't it like God to do that? You know, when you read about God in the Bible, he has this incredible ability to love people, uh, love the unlovely, love the people that you or I would never even get around. Well, uh, they're not only, they not only would be accepted, they, the shepherds would be immortalized. Uh, in church plays at this time of the year, we don't have any trouble getting shepherds. Uh, somebody says, hey, we need some people for the church play, and people say, okay, I'll be a shepherd. <laughs> Just give me one of those, those crooks, and I'll walk down the aisle. I'll tell you, the Lord has raised the estimation of shepherding here by appearing to them first in his coming. Uh, I uh, was reading a story about a, a young family that attended, uh, that went to a restaurant, and the mother told the story, and she said, I sat Eric, their little child, in a high chair and noticed everyone was quietly eating and talking. Suddenly, Eric squealed with glee and said, Hi there. He wiggled and giggled with merriment as a man with a tattered rag of a coat, dirty, greasy, and worn. His pants were baggy. His toes poked uh, out of his shoes. His shirt was dirty and his hair was uncombed and unwashed. His whiskers were not quite a beard. Uh, we were too far to smell him, but I'm sure he smelled. This is the testimony of the mother. Uh, his hands waved at my baby and he said, Hi there, baby. Hi there, big boy. I see you, buster. And the man said to Eric, My husband and I didn't know what to do. Eric continued to laugh and answer, Hi, hi there. Our meal finally came. And the drunken geezer began to shout across the room, Do you know Patty Cake? Do you know Peekaboo? Hey, look, he knows Peekaboo. No one thought the old man was cute, but my husband and I were embarrassed. Eric, on the other hand, was running through his repertoire of tricks, all of which were admired by the bum. We finally got through the meal, and my husband went to pay. Eric and I headed for the door, and the old man was poised between me and the door. I uttered a prayer of Lord... Uh, just let me get out of here before he speaks to me or Eric. As I drew close to the man, I turned my back, trying to sidestep him and avoid any air he might be breathing. And as I did, Eric leaned over. My arm reached out with both arms in a baby pick-me-up position. And before I could stop him, Eric had propelled himself from my arms to the man's. Eric, in an act of total trust, love, and submission laid his tiny head upon the man's ragged shoulder. The man's eyes closed, and I saw tears hover beneath his lashes. His aged hands, full of grime, pain, and hard labor, gently, so gently, cradled my baby's bottom and stroked his back. The old man rocked and cradled Eric in his arms for a moment, and then his eyes opened and set squarely on mine, and he said in a firm, commanding voice, You take care of this baby. 
Somehow I managed, I will. And from a throat that contained a stone, I received my baby. And the man said, God bless you, ma'am. You've given me my Christmas gift. I ran to the car. My husband wondered why I was crying and saying, my God, my God, forgive me. The ragged old man unwittingly had reminded me uh, to enter the kingdom of God, we must become like little children. When I read that story, I thought, you know, that's probably the way the shepherds felt out there. Uh, nobody was interested in them but God. And no one gave them a real Christmas until Christ came. Uh, there were other people in this story, too, that were waiting for Christmas. Drop down in your Bible to verse number 25. Uh, here we pick up another one. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And for those of you who like to write things in your Bible, you can put down waiting for Christmas, because that's exactly what he was waiting for. We call it Christmas. He called it consolation. I understand that that's a messianic term. And people knew what that term meant back in that time when somebody would say the consolation of Israel. And, and notice this, the Holy Spirit was upon him and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So he came by the Spirit into the temple and when his parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of the people, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of all people. Now here we find Simeon uh, coming into the temple area, and uh, he is waiting for the consolation of Israel. Uh, where did he get this? Well, I think he got it from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says the Lord. Verse 2, speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her. Uh, Israel needed to be comforted. Uh, the word consolation here is from the two Greek terms, para kaleo, a para beside and kaleo, to call, to call beside. Sometimes it's translated comfort and sometimes counselor, uh, but in any respect, it's what we all need. Uh, these people had lost their political independence. They were living in the fear of uh, the crafty and cruel King Herod. And uh, Simeon had a good reason for his hope, though, and anticipation that the comforter would come. Because the Bible says here, and we read it, that uh, he was revealed by the Holy Spirit that he would not die unless he until he saw the Lord's Christ. And so how would you like to have a promise like that given to you by the Holy Spirit? You're going to hang around until you see the Messiah. And every day you woke up and you said, well, this might be the day. Well, this was an added bonus because this was only to him. Everybody else during that time only had the standard scriptures that you and I have. They just had what we have. Micah 5, 2. But thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, who is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old, from everlasting. Uh, they had the standard scriptures, Isaiah 7, 14. Christ would be born of a virgin. His name would be Emmanuel. 
Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, out of Egypt, I will call my son. Well, they were waiting for comfort. Uh, you know, there is a desire to be comforted. It's a universal human need. It really is. We all struggle, all of us, with loneliness, emptiness, insecurity, and oftentimes desperation. We need someone to speak a word, a kind word to us, to have sympathy with us. In fact, the Christmas season is, as I mentioned before, one of the major crisis times of the year. Uh, Simeon's mind is on comfort to the people of Israel. Uh, and uh, Simeon woke up on this day and the Holy Spirit probably said, hey, this is it. Get ready. I'm going to bring this to pass in your life. And uh, he thanked the Lord and he said it was in verse 29, according to his word. And he begins to make these prophecies. Uh, you know, just saying, and he said he was ready to, to die as a result of seeing the Messiah. Now, it's interesting to me that uh, that whenever you and I experience the Messiah, we're ready to die too. Amen? We're ready to die. Uh, we have no fear of death because we know where we're going when we die. Here in verse number 31, he says the message of Christ is going to be to all people. And so if you, and this was a, this was a shock because that, that was uh, incomprehensible at the time. They couldn't even dream of that. They just thought the love of God beamed down out of heaven on that little spot we call Israel. That's it. And when they got toward the borders, the love of God just kind of faded out. Simeon said, not so. The love of God is going to go to all people. And we have the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verse 9. Listen to me what it says. Listen what it says. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations tribes, people, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palm branches in their hands. Well, the message of Christ is for all people. And he said specifically in verse number 32 that Christ was going to open the eyes of the Gentiles. That's the fulfillment of another prophecy, Isaiah 9, 2. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. He also said in verse 34 that the coming of Christ is for the fall and rising of many. Some people will fall down and some people will rise up. Christ is like a magnet. Have you ever played with a magnet? You know, you turn it one way and it pulls things in. You turn it the other way and it kind of repels things away. That's what Christ is. He's like a magnet. Uh, to some people, he is, they have a negative experience. To some people, they have a positive experience. Uh, and he says here that he's going to be spoken against, and I find that a, a, a big understatement, verbal insults. And then he pulls out his dagger, so to speak, in verse 35, and he says to Mary, a sword will pierce your soul. Mary, uh, who agonizes over their children any more than mother? What mother is not in pain when her child is ridiculed, bullied, picked on? It hurts mother more than it hurts the kid. It was Mary, remember, that stood beside Jesus to the very end. In John 19, it said that she stood at the foot of the cross. A great Bible scholar of many years ago named Constantine von Tischendorf, he was born in 1815, uh, he passed down uh, a tradition that he said that he had found. And that tradition is whenever Mary was uh, 
came to the cross and looked up there at those three crosses, she asked uh, one of the soldiers standing nearby, which one is Jesus? Because the Bible says he was so incredibly marred that even his mother... Uh, was that the time that a sword was pierced through the heart of Mary? Well, the reaction of Joseph and Mary, of course, they marveled. Uh, this is the reaction that we should have toward the things of Christ. And then there was Anna. Let's not leave her out this morning. Let's look down to verse 36. And there was one Anna, a prophetess of the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant... She gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Israel. Again, for those of you who like to write things in your Bible. Here is Anna. She is waiting for Christmas too. She really is. And she called it in these words, the redemption of Israel. Now, redemption is a very interesting word. In fact, it's one of the great words of the Bible. It conveys the idea of deliverance or setting a person free by paying a ransom. For example, a prisoner of war or a kidnapped person is ransomed or redeemed, or a convicted criminal is freed from the penalty of death. In every case, the man or the person is powerless to free himself. He can't pay the penalty demanded to liberate himself from the situation or bondage he's in. Uh, you know, we talk in the church about people needing to be delivered. And we look around everywhere and people need to be delivered, don't they? And we, we kind of crystallize it by using these three terms. What do they need to be delivered from? They need to be delivered from the world, the flesh, and the devil. Let's take them just in that order. How about the world? Uh, the world has a mighty grip on people today. The force of corruption and death is around us everywhere. The whole creation is corrupt, the Bible says. And it has a corrupting influence on you and me. This is why church is so important. This is why us coming together, if we want to use a football analogy, in the huddle to call the plays. Because we have to go out there this week and run the play. This is why we need each other so much in the church. Because the world is just chipping away at us, just breaking down our standards, just uh, telling us, listen, it's okay, don't worry. Everybody's doing it. It has a corrupting influence. People need to be delivered from that in order to be powerful Christians. And so that's what redemption is all about. To be delivered from the grip and the power of the world, worldliness in our mind. That's the world. Then there's the flesh. That's the sin that uh, we were born with. We were born into sin, and we, we sin by choice, too. Uh, the Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Paul said in Romans 7.14, he said, I am a slave to sin. Paul said that. A slave to sin. That needs deliverance. Uh, and so there is this evil propensity in our heart. We need to be delivered from that, from that propensity. And then there is the devil. Let's not leave him out of this picture. Most people blame everything on him, right? The devil made me do it. Well, sometimes that's true. 
Uh, the force of the devil, all, uh, listen to this, all unbelievers are under the power and the influence of the devil. He has blinded their minds. Whenever you preach the gospel to them, they just kind of turn you off. The devil has come in between you and the preaching of the gospel. He's blinded their minds. In fact, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, that uh, Satan works in the children of disobedience. That's the lost. And so the three key ideas are included in the concept of redemption. Man needs to be delivered and set free. Man is unable to deliver himself. We can't gain the victory over the world, the flesh or the devil, without being delivered by Christ. Uh, and he has no energy, no power, no ability to free himself, but God has redeemed us by the blood of his Son, Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen? amen. Uh, Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Well, uh, Anna had her living quarters right there in the temple grounds. She was a prophetess, the Bible says. And that meant she was a teacher of the Old Testament. She was completely dedicated to God. Uh, and, and it was interesting to me as we just read that, that she seemed to have just stumbled into this situation. I believe that she was led by the Holy Spirit. She was so close to God, she spent her whole life in not even going out of the temple area in fasting and prayer. And she just so happened, you know when you're walking in the Spirit, that's the way things happen. They just so happen. When you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, you just show up at the right time, in the right environment, to do the right thing. And that's exactly what happened here in the story of Anna. And she saw the Lord and she said here that others, herself and others, were looking for redemption in Israel. Uh, she gave thanks to God and she spoke of him to all who were waiting for this redemption. You know, God's gifts are gifts that we really need here at this Christmas. Gifts that cannot be bought with money. Gifts that meet our deepest need. Uh, those are the gifts that we can have at Christmas. Philippians 4.19 is one of my favorite verses. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Psalm 23.1. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all I need. The Lord provides our needs. You know, the interesting thing about Anna to me was the fact that she was looking for the forgiveness of her nation. She was forgiven. The bases were covered in her life, but she wanted forgiveness for the nation because she saw the nation plunging under the strength and power of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And she prayed to this end, and we will never know the value of an incredible prayer like Anna. And so my question to you this morning is this. Uh, what are you waiting for this Christmas? Uh, if it's the gifts that Jesus gives, uh, you can have them. By faith, they're free. The shepherds, what did they want? They wanted acceptance. And boy, I'll tell you what, they got their Christmas gift. They were accepted and honored by the Lord to, to be his first witnesses. God is showing his grace and love reaching out to them, and they got more than they ever dreamed of. And you know, whenever you become a Christian, you get more than you ever dreamed of. More than you ever dreamed of. Uh, and Simeon, he wanted Israel to be comforted because uh, maybe he was one of those mercy givers like Diane Mussey here in the church. 
And uh, when anybody has a little pain in their life, Diane is on the spot. She's a comfort giver. Maybe he was like that. And he was looking at Christmas in that respect. He wanted comfort in Israel. Uh, you know, we in the church have our share of discomfort, don't we, and problems in life. Uh, we have our hard times. Uh, and we need comfort. Uh, and the, the Holy Spirit is our comforter. And then there's Anna. And she had a bigger perspective. Her perspective is she wanted salvation for her nation. The greatest gift is forgiveness, to lift the burden of guilt and sin off of us, to break the bonds that shackle us uh, and ruin our lives. I remember there was a young man. Somebody brought him into my office. They thought maybe I could help him. And he was on drugs. I did everything I could do to explain to him what he was doing in his life. And uh, I was really getting into it and became animated. And I grabbed a piece of paper off of my desk and I rolled it up and I said, this is what you're doing in your life. And I shot it and I said, I hope that goes in the trash. And I shot it across the room and that thing went right in the trash can and I said, that's what you're doing to your life. You're throwing it away. And you know what he said? He said, you know, drug addicts don't care about that. That kind of shocked me. It really did. But I've never been there. So I don't know. He said, we don't care about that. All we care about is the next fix. That's all we care about. Well, Anna had this big perspective, and she saw people everywhere in her nation that really needed to be delivered. Now, this is all good, and this is what Christ brings at Christmas time to people. Uh, what, what three things do these people have in common? First of all, they are movers. The angels came to the shepherds and said, Listen, I want you to go find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And the Bible says they came with haste. And they found Joseph and Mary and that little baby lying in a manger. They were movers. They moved out when God called them. And then there was Simeon. And the Bible says specifically here in verse 27 that he was moved by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit told him, Go to the temple. Now, Simeon, today, go to the temple. Whenever the Holy Spirit talked to him, he went. And then there was Anna, and she just happened, happened uh, to show up at the right time. She was moved by the Spirit, too. Uh, I think uh, we need to look at that and take that as a cue for us. Let's listen and move when the Spirit talks to us. Now, you might say, well, uh, Simeon had the Spirit speak to him in a unique way. That's true. But listen, we have a whole Bible full of commands of the Lord that was given by the Spirit of God. And so whenever we are reading through the Bible systematically, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us and the Holy Spirit says, hey, listen, do that. And we should say, okay, I'll do that. Uh, they were movers and they were messengers. The shepherds weren't allowed to testify, as I said before, in a court of law, but God entrusted them with the greatest message ever told. And they went out and they told everybody that they had been confronted by the child, the Savior. And then there was Simeon. And he gave this incredible prophecy, which we haven't been able to cover all of it today. But here he is speaking to us today. He's the messenger of God. And there's Anna. And Luke 2.38 says that uh, she spoke of him to all those who look for the redemption of Israel. She went out and said, listen, listen, he's here. He's arrived. 
They were messengers. And then there's one last thing that characterizes this story and the fact that the people who heard this story marveled. The word marveled means to be amazed. Now let me say to you that Christmas in the world's perspective is not amazing. In some respects, it's repugnant. It's repugnant. But the story of Jesus is amazing. It's really amazing. Uh, whenever Mary and Joseph heard it, in verse number 33, they marveled. And in verse 18, the people marveled too. And so my message to you this morning is this. Don't let Christmas become commonplace or just a commercial whirlwind that we get caught up in it. And after it's all said and done, we say, boy, thank God, I'm glad that's over. Let's marvel at the real message of Christmas. Let's reach out here in this community and let's shake it in some small way to tell them, listen, Christmas is more than packing a ton of presents under your tree. Christmas is the most amazing story in the Bible. And so I want to encourage you to, to marvel at Christmas, the wonder of it all, and to listen to the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit tells you to do something, do it. Because he has something special for you. He told Simeon, time to go. He was moving in Anna's life. He told the shepherds, go and see the Christ child. Listen, when you obey the Holy Spirit, you will not be disappointed. Because the Holy Spirit will always lead you in the right direction. He never leads you down the wrong trail. And then let's be a messenger. Let's tell his story. We have so many wonderful opportunities this month. Let's rise up. Let's, let's shake off the shackles, okay, as Christians. And let's become vocal and aggressive in our community. You know, we're talking about Christmas every week here in church. And we want people to come and we want them to be uh, at least penetrated in some way with the love of God during this most incredibly hectic time. When we leave the auditorium today, grab some of these tickets and, and bring some of your friends, your family, out to the concert that we have. We have people sprinkled all over our church that were first introduced to our church through a simple dinner or a theater uh, or a thing like we're going to have this Friday night. Get the tickets and take them out by faith and let's fill this place, okay? Uh, with people who just need to have a, a little touch from God. We're not, we may, we're not asking for the moon. We're just asking a little touch from God. Uh, the Jingle Jam is coming up. Let's grab a bunch of those tickets and, uh, and bring our friends to have a good time with them, to introduce them to other Christian people and just let them know that there's a, there's a church up here on this hill. Uh, I, was, uh, I was thinking... Uh, we have people all over our church that have come to a, an event like that. And I know it takes a little extra energy on your part to kind of get up for it and to do this and to do that. But listen, that's what the church is all about. The church is about going the second mile, not the first mile, the second mile. It's about us getting out of our comfort zone. And it's about us trying to preach the gospel, us penetrating the world. And the way we do that, we work together to do that. We're a team here at this church. 
And so I want to encourage you to take this month and say, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to do whatever I can do uh, to be a messenger. I'm going to move out when the Holy Spirit tells me to move. I'm going to respond to him. And I'm just going to stand back and I'm going to marvel at it all. The wonder of what God would do for us. Christ come to earth to save us, to deliver us, to break the shackles of our sin. Let's share it with others. Let's just not hold it to ourselves. okay? Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, I wonder if you're here today and maybe you've never come to Christ. Maybe the only thing you know about Christmas is presents and trees and things of that nature. But you never really knew that it was about deliverance from sin and the world and... and uh, Satan's power in your life. I want to encourage you to reach out today in the church by faith and trust Jesus Christ and him alone for your salvation. Embrace him and his teachings and then follow him. And then you'll be able to share with your friends and your other acquaintances what Christmas is really about. It's about victory. It's about a new life. A new start. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, right there in the quietness of your seat, I, I'd like to lead you in a prayer. If you pray this prayer from your heart, and you mean it, the Lord will come to you and He will save you. Just say something like, Lord, I'm a sinner. I've broken your law. I've offended your holiness. Forgive me, Lord, of my sins. I accept your forgiveness right now and I thank you for dying on the cross for me personally. And I want to go on record that I'm trusting you and you alone as my Savior. Come into my heart. If you pray that prayer from the bottom of your heart, the Lord will come to you because the scripture says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's you. And if you call, he'll come. Dear Lord, I just pray now that as we wrap up the service, as we conclude our time together, that you'll move in our hearts. Lord, may we go out of here today challenged and inspired by the examples of Scripture that we have talked about this morning in the Bible. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing our closing song. And as we sing, if you'd like to come and pray here at the front of the church, feel free to do that.
Well, I hope you are encouraged today uh, to shake off the shackles and to uh, become vocal about the real meaning of Christmas, to marvel about it. In the foyer, we have some tickets left for the concert this Friday night, the dinner and the concert. Pick up some of them. Invite some of your coworkers, your family. Maybe you've got some family members that maybe haven't been in church in a long time and just to say, hey, listen, come to dinner with me. And they'll say, where are you going? I'll just come to dinner with me. And uh, bring them. And uh, pick some of those other tickets up to the Jingle Jam. Uh, somebody told me Jim Kunkel was worth the effort just to come and see him uh, out of his box doing his thing. The gospel is going to be presented at all of these things that we're doing because that's the purpose for which we're doing it. Turn around and shake hands with everybody. God bless you. You're dismissed. I will